Hey. Hello, Jim. How are we? I'm all right. How are you? All the way in Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, so good morning, London. Uh, <laughs> actually, just noon here. How's everything? All right? Yeah, it's all good. Thanks. Both been really looking forward to uh, having a chat with you. Fantastic. Got yeah. two of you to, to, to bat off. Um, uh, I was going to, uh, the normal question at the beginning of these is, uh, so how long will, will you need? And then I thought, well, oh, okay, it's in the title. But then I saw on your website uh, some of the, the interviews and they were actually half an hour. Yeah. So some, some are like, I think 20, actually 15 minutes is the shortest. 15 minutes to, I think the longest one ever was like about three and a half hours or something. So that was going to be the first question to you. Clear violation of the trade description. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute, I paid for a full hour. That's it. Hello and thank you for listening to episode 429 of 60MW and another interview show. I'm Dave. And I'm Chris and I've, what would I, what would I, hijacked or uh, jumped on, like, you know, Big Trouble in Little China and that little monster's on the back of the truck and he just gets a lift with, with Jack Burton. That's what I, that's me on the, on the monster and you're driving the truck. I've just kind of, you know, hitched, for, hitched along the ride or what's, came along for the ride, whatever. And fancy mentioning Big Trouble in Little China, because that's the last interview show you did with me just a few weeks ago with James Pax. I know, and it's kind of, a, it's a subliminal segue, isn't it? You know, it's just there. I mean, I'm not doing this on purpose. I'm clearly not that professional. But, um, <laughs> you know, no, that's, uh, it's it's wicked. I mean, when you said, we're going to be doing an interview show, or would you like to come along? And then you told me the person that we're going to be speaking to, and I was like... I don't know the name, <laughs> but then you, you reassured me and you said, he's done loads of TV stuff and some video game stuff, you know, and movies and whatever. And it's like, okay. So I to look through his IMDb. He's like, oh, I recognize that face. So I've got a few questions that I'd like to ask. And, um, well, who are we talking to? Well, hopefully people have they've read the podcast notes. Like they always do. And of course memorized, they don't. Memorize Come on. <laughs> Our listeners can't read. <laughs> it's it's Jim Piddock that we're going to be talking to, uh, specifically about his upcoming book, which is released on March the 23rd. It's called Caught With My Pants Down and Other Tales From A Life In Hollywood, which is a great title. Brilliant title. Yeah. It's It's got a really good cover as well, if people want to look up the cover. Um, trust us, before before anything just from a title like that and jim and his body of work i'm sure it's going to be a good read i'm sure he's going to be a great guest because he's been in loads of stuff um i do want to ask him a question that tina posed to me uh once she found out that we were talking to jim and because she and i are big christopher guest fans and she wanted to know about how he how he gets involved in with christopher guest so we'll find out that all being well um so i did i did recognize jim obviously from the Christopher Guest work more than anything. Uh, but I know when you had a luck, uh, like you were just saying, and the first one that jumped to your mind was Lethal Weapon 2, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. He's in a fairly famous scene, you know, quite a memorable 
funny scene, I guess. Um, and uh, believe it or not, that was 33 years ago when that film came wow. out. And I was thinking about it today and I was looking through his other body of work. But that's the one I remember him from. That's the first thing I saw him in. And, you know, to think, you know, like I said, 33 years ago, I watched that film and now I'm talking to him uh, about it, um, or I will be, hopefully. He's crazy. And just get to chat with him about his career and what he's doing and, mm. and his book. And I'm really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to it. Right. Let's get on with it then. Everybody sit back and relax and we'll go and have a chat with Jim. And uh, yeah, we'll see you at the back end of the show when we've uh, when we've had a chat with him. Jim, let's begin by thanking you, as I always do with all the guests, for giving me some time today. I know me and Chris, we've been really looking forward to having a chat with you. So thank you very much. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I've got, we're here to have a chat about your upcoming book, um, Caught With My Pants Down and Other Tales From A Life In Hollywood, which is going to be released on March the 23rd. And I know yes. for a fact, me and Chris are going to buy it. And obviously... Well, there's two sales right that's away. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can quit while I'm ahead. <laughs> we, don't, we don't, of course, want you to give all the stories out of it. We want people to buy the books. But, I mean, you've got such an amazing body of work. I'd love to know and start this off by... Where did you begin when you put this putting this book together? Because you must have so many incredible memories and experiences that you could put down that people would be interested in. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't thought about writing a book like this at all, but until I did something in 2017 for the Screen Actors Guild, they asked me to do a thing called uh, Inside the Industry, Let's Talk About It. And it was basically me being interviewed by an entertainment uh, reporter from the Wall Street Journal in a 200-seat theatre in Beverly Hills, and, and I didn't prepare anything. I went along and thought, well, I'll just, you know, waffle my way through this. I, I, I'll tell a few stories and, and answer some questions and be done with it. Mm. And um, I, I had a really good time. I really enjoyed it. And, and it seemed to go down fairly well. So uh, I, I, I came away thinking, well, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll kind of break my long theatrical hiatus and 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 uh write this as a one-man show and i could do you know 90 minutes just wandering around you know talking about goofy stuff that's happened and <laughs> telling shameless name dropping and telling these stories <laughs> and then i started writing but it, it very quickly became a 10-hour long show which i thought would test the patience of any theater going audience <laughs> Um, so then I sort of thought, well, well I, I better write a book. Um, I don't really have a choice now. And, and then I sort of started it. And, um, and then about, uh, I suppose, yeah, it was literally I'd written a very small amount of it. And then we hit um, this thing called COVID. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's a kind of a mm, virus yeah. thing that's been going around. Um, and so we were in lockdown for, uh, for, for a while. And, and I, what would have taken me probably five years to write, uh, suddenly took me five months. Um, and then I had to obviously rewrite it and decide what would stay in and what would, you know, go out. Um, and uh, that's really the genesis of it. Um, and it was a weird thing to do because I tend to look very much forward and or just in front of me when I'm through life. So to actually be able to sort of take stock and look backwards was kind of unusual. I mean, it was a privilege to be able to do it. And that sounds weird, but but you know, to stop the merry-go-round for a year, basically, uh, which is what happened to most of us who, who weren't in vital industries, um, was, was kind of a great opportunity, especially at my age. I, at that point, I was just entering my 60s. It's like, okay, well, let's let's look back a bit. Um, but it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. It was kind of like pulling teeth in a way. Some things came very quickly and others were like, oh, did that happen there or there? And, and, and again, you know, it's um, so it was weird for me to dwell on the past. 
Can you remember what the first one was that you wrote down? The first memory that that you wanted the, to put pen to paper, as it were. Well, the yeah, the first the first story in the book is uh, from drama school, uh, and um, it, it it sort of I think it was the first story I told one of the first ones in, in the in that evening in the theatre, but uh, it, it was essentially. Um, yeah, it was my first day at drama school and how I knew that I could cut it as an actor. Uh, and what, what happened was I, I, I'd been at university and, and wasn't used to kind of um, getting up early and going to, to this sort of structured <laughs> student thing. So um, on the first day at drama school, I, I, but when it came to lunchtime, I was really hungry because I'd been up so long compared to what I used to do at university <laughs> where I'd roll out of bed at, you know, three in the afternoon. So I... Uh, I went out, some people brought their lunch in, some people went out uh, uh, to to a pub or whatever, went home. I went to this little hole-in-the-wall Chinese restaurant and ate a massive meal. I was really hungry. And I ate everything on the menu. And I kind of waddled back to this drama school. And I looked at what our schedule was. And it was, um, it was a thing called movement, a class called movement. Now, the only movement I wanted at that point was not what they had in mind. <laughs> so I changed into the gear. We had to wear, and it was the first time I put this on, we had, for movement class or anything like physical, we had to wear, it was really bizarre, these black roll-neck sweaters and black tights. Now, I was really self-conscious to begin with, and so you're going into this class. <laughs> it's about two-thirds women, a third men, I would imagine. Um, and uh, so I'm really, like, trying to be cool. And the, the teacher was this kind of slightly camp American guy um, who said, okay, we're going to start with um, headstands. Uh, you'll come to this mat here, uh, get into the headstand, we'll hold your feet, and then you roll out of it and we go through the line. So I stood in line as near the back as I could. And a few people did this uh, alarmingly well, in my opinion. And then I came up, uh, went into my headstand, just about managed that without making a, a tit of myself. And then uh, he said the, the usual command um, and release. And the two people holding my feet let go. And I came down on the mat and I did release. I released <laughs> the most enormous, loudest, hardest, sharpest fart you have ever heard in your life. It, it was like a gun going off. And I lay there absolutely mortified. My eyes were closed and I thought, this is it. It's over. I'm Show business is not going to happen for me. I can never uh, get over this. I'm never going to live this down. And I, I kept my eyes closed. And it was there was kind of a few seconds. You know, if, if you're a parent, you know this moment when a kid falls over. There's like a, a kind of delay of two to three seconds before the screaming and the crying begins. Yeah. And it was like that. There was this kind of anticipation of going, I am going to hear an explosion of laughter and derision. And I waited and I waited and I waited and nothing came. Absolutely nothing. And I kind of cautiously opened one eye and I looked up and everyone was gathered around me, like looking down as if they were looking into an open grave. And, and I thought, and then the teacher goes oh my god are you okay what was that and i said oh it's an old football injury i um yeah it's my ankle a, a few years ago it went and it, every now and again it goes and he said oh you okay you're gonna be okay does it and it's yeah it's, it's a, if someone could help me up and these two very lovely actresses helped me out to my feet and kind of led me away to a bench on the side of the studio where I managed to sit for the whole of the rest of the class and, uh, and sitting it out. 
And as they went back to join the queue again, these two two actresses, I thought, that's it. I can do it. I'm an actor. <laughs> I completely pulled this off. Um, and then the kind of postscript to the story was that that was a, a, a life-defining moment. I went, yep, no, I could leave now. I don't need the rest of the training. Um, and then I went to the, the men's changing room and people were saying, you okay? You know, this sounded terrible. And I went, yeah, um, yeah, I should be. It's a couple of days. Well, you know what? Sometimes a couple of hours. In fact, I'll t- be honest, it feels pretty much okay right now. <laughs> and then they all kind of left and went on to the next class. And one guy hung back and he said, uh, he was actually an American student, so that's too. Um, and he said, uh, can I ask you a question, Jim? I said, yeah, yeah, sure. He said, you farted, didn't you? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I was busted. I went, yeah, I did, yeah. And he went, oh, fucking A, man. And he gave me a huge high five. And so from then on, my reputation was sealed at drama school um, because it got around very quickly that that's what had happened. So I, I got sort of pin- pigeonholed as... Um, well, a quite a good improviser and a, a flatulent fellow. <laughs> awesome. Did that give you the confidence then just to fart at any opportunity and not give, <laughs> no, no, not give a damn? Go and do that. <laughs> um, well, I did, I did. I remember doing a show at the Greenwich Theatre shortly before I left, before I left England. We, this is already, we, we've hit the bottom on this podcast. Had, <laughs> basically, we're, what, 10 minutes in and we've got a huge fart story. And we've got another one coming up. And I, was, I had this tiny part in this show at the Greenwich Theatre. And we we're all sitting on the stage. And it was a matinee with full of old people. And I let one go really loudly and it reverberated <laughs> throughout the whole stage. And it was like, everyone was like, just trying not to go. And then this old lady sitting in the front row turned to her friend and went, did you hear that fart? Really <laughs> and then the whole, everyone on stage just completely lost it. So my history um, as a, a flatulent fellow, um, uh, that's it. We'll we'll move on to the poo stories next. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of our bar, to be fair. That's you know, say so you you fit good. in really well. So yeah, yeah. good, good. Uh, so that's that, well, that, you've got the free sample of uh, the first chapter of the book, abbreviated slightly. <laughs> that's brilliant. That is just that's just that <laughs> what we like to read, isn't it, Chris? Stories yeah. like that, it's amazing. Yeah, and most of the stories. I mean, it is a collection of anecdotes, and mostly I draw conclusions from them of some sort and some are quite serious conclusions and some are sort of life lessons but the one i derived from that was that you can feel you can fool most of the people most of the time but not everyone uh and that that sort of was the lesson i got from that uh apart from the fact that i yes i could possibly act and you've worked with with so many people I mean, you look at the list of names that, you know, you've worked with over the years. And one early one, in your theatre days in America, when you first went to America in the early 80s, George C. Scott. I mean, yeah, wow. I mean, please tell us a story about him because he's, I love him. An amazing actor. Yeah, it was a weird thing. I didn't, I, I'd gone over for three months just to direct a couple of shows at the drama school I'd been at. They opened one in Berkeley and I did a one-man show while I was there that I had the rights to. Uh, and in a tiny theatre, and it took off in a very big way, um, which was fantastic because I went from zero to ten in, in about a space of six months. And then it got extended there and booked into other places, and then it, it took me to New York. And my first audition in New York, I was cast by George C. Scott in um, Present Laughter, Noel Coward's Present Laughter, and he was also starring in it. 
And so, you know, my career suddenly, having done sort of rep and stuff in, in England uh, for fairly low rent, in that, uh, it was suddenly I was in a broad, hit Broadway show, uh, which was extraordinary. Um, and, and about nine months, um, you know, after doing that one-man show, less than that. So, so that was amazing. And, and he was, uh, it was the first major star I'd ever worked with. Um, and it, it was, he was quite intimidating, very gruff, very mm. gruff, uh, and was brilliant in the part because normally that, I don't know if people know the play, but it's about an effete, uh, sort of light comedy actor who's very vain. And George isn't that at all. So being cast against type, he was much more like John Barrymore, that was a very masculine, rugged, mm. and it was all the funnier. His preening and his vanity became all the funnier because it was very masculine as opposed to slightly effete. Um, and Noel Cowdy. So he was great. Um, but what was interesting about George was that he, he really didn't like to rehearse that much. It was just business, let's get in, let's get out. We learn the lines. And so yeah, it was an incredible cast. I think there was um, Nathan Lane made his Broadway debut. Uh, Kate Burton, Richard Burton's daughter, made a Broadway debut. Dana Ivey, who's a wonderful New York actress. Christine Larty, who people probably know uh, from lots of television shows. And and Christine had was much more methody acting, and she would be like uh, George, um, what what's my intention in this line, or where, where, where? and he would just go, your intention is come in, say your line, get the fuck off stage, and then we can all go home, and that was basically his approach to acting and it was mine too at that time i'd done weekly and fortnightly reps so you didn't have time to question anything you just get in say your line get out and hope you get a laugh um and, and nathan was a bit like that you know uh so so it was an interesting experience also being directing himself um the other thing that i do remember distinctly and i kept account he missed a one, on average one show a week uh, through um, illness, in inverted commas, um, he, he, I have never seen a man uh, consume alcohol the way he could consume it. He had the constitution of an ox. Wow. And so he would go home after rehearsal and watch his beloved Detroit Tigers and drink. And um, I think he, you know, didn't recover sometimes. But uh, so he missed about one show in every eight. Uh, I remember the night before we closed, I think the show ran for about eight months, Um it had a limited run, but it was fantastically successful. Uh, he took us all out to dinner at Gallagher's Steakhouse in New York. And um, we had one more show the next day, a Sunday matinee. And so we had dinner. And it was quite late, obviously, because it was after the Saturday night show. Um, and, and, and come about two o'clock, you know, I went reeled home along with everybody else, a little worse for wear. And George was still there drinking. And I so couldn't believe how much he'd packed away. I could not believe it. And, and there was an actress in the show, an, an older actress called Betty Henritzi, and she said, oh, yeah, I did a show with him, Shakespeare in the Park, when he was younger. And between shows, he would have, uh, uh, I think it was Shakespeare in the Park, but he said between shows, he would have 17 martinis. Wow. Now, that's wow. fascinating wow. evening. Now, that's, that would kill most people. Yeah. But I saw him pack away at least that in, in Gallagher's. And then I showed up at the theatre the next day um, for the matinee, and I was walking towards my dressing room and his door was just slightly ajar. And I heard this voice go, Jimmy, Jimmy, come in here. So I went in, you know, cautiously went in 
and he was sitting in his boxers, his, his underpants. And um, you knew with George, it, it, this is another story I tell later in the book, that, uh, with a director friend who, who um, a director who'd, who'd worked with him, the less clothes he's wearing, the more drunk he is. That's basically the rule. <laughs> so I knew we were in, in a bit of a trouble right here. And he, he started talking to me, but he couldn't really get a sentence as well. What do you do? I just go, I was all that. Tell Nathan I got a good farm in here. We'll do the show. And I thought, we're done. This show is not going to happen. And I went to the stage manager and said, I think we're going to have to cancel, you know, because his understudy had already gone home, I think. And we were about about 15 minutes to go. And Mike, the stage manager, said, oh, well, let's just see, you know, we can't, I could, with a, the theatre full of people, we'll have to give it a shot. And I said to Nathan, who I was sharing a dressing room, we're, we're, we're completely, can I swear on the show? I already swore. We're completely <laughs> fucked. Um, and uh, so we ended up doing the show, and it's, uh, it's it was extraordinary. George did not miss a single beat or a single line or a single joke. It was Exactly the same performance he'd given, uh, you know, how many times in, in eight months? Nothing. You would have had no idea. It was extraordinary. I mean, I literally couldn't believe it, nor could anyone else. Uh, and it, But it was also utterly terrifying on many <laughs> levels. Um, so that's that's my, um, yeah, that was my experience with George. That's that's amazing. Sorry, Chris, go on. No, I was going to say, how, how did you find the transition from like theatre and stage to TV and movies then? Because a lot of actors I hear in audio books and that I listen to, they say that it's diff- very different and very difficult to the, yeah, get your head around the change. It's obviously much more internal. Um, I, I was fr- The reason I left New York after three years, I, I was very fortunate. I'd done, I think, four Broadway shows almost back-to-back for three years on in, in New York. But I, I, I always wanted to do film and TV. So the first, I would guess, sort of six, seven years of my career, pretty much all theatre. Uh, and I wasn't doing any, I'd done some voiceovers in New York, but I was getting no TV or film work. So I moved to LA kind of cold and um, sort of to see how that would work. And and I eventually kind of started to get a little traction and do some stuff. So it was, it was a big transition in terms of, I'd done quite a lot of, I was in the original cast of Noises Off on Broadway. I'd done quite a lot of fairly big farcy type comedies Um so I wasn't used to underplaying things, put it that way. Uh, so it was kind of an adjustment. Now, you know, multi-camera sitcoms where you have a studio audience is a little bit of a hybrid, but even then you've got to remember not to play to the audience and play to the camera because mm-hmm. it's just too big, unless you're doing Mrs. Brown's Boys, in which case it's not big enough. <laughs> um, so a little dig in there. Um, <laughs> uh, so... It was a kind of a slight adjustment. The first thing I did was actually a drama. I, I was, uh, it was a Western. The first ever TV role uh, was a Western, which I've never done one since, um, which bizarrely uh, Meg Ryan was in. And she just moved out from New York and we were living in the same apartment block. Um, but uh, it was, yeah, I, I didn't really, I think I'd always been, even though I'd been in these big broad comedies, I think I'd always been more of a face actor, you know, and just uh, a sort of slightly more subtle in some ways, Uh, even though I mastered the craft of, um, you know, physical humour. I I, I didn't find it a terrible adjustment. Uh, And then I think what really turned it around for me in 
was when I did Best in Show and I kind of did almost nothing. I literally tried <laughs> to do anti-acting and it really felt like that worked for me. I loved it and I kind of enjoyed seeing my kind of ability not to work too hard. And I kind of, that was a turning point for me. And I, I think my whole style of what I did probably changed then. I mean, I occasionally reverted back to some bad old habits. Um, and there's a couple of films I look at and go, God almighty, why didn't the director pull me back, you know? <laughs> so that kind of answers maybe a little bit of a question that, that, not that I've been thinking about for many years, because when Dave said, do you want to speak to Jim Piddick? I was like, Jim Piddick, okay. Jim so. Yeah, well, so then I looked I looked at IMDB and saw your picture and was like, I recognise him from something. And then it was like scrolling through your IMDB. He's like noticing loads of TV work, loads of movie stuff, some video game voiceover, you know, amazing. I love video games. And then scrolling down, got to the end. So I, was like, I still can't picture where I've seen him before. And then get to 1989 and Lethal Weapon 2. Yeah. And it's like, that's it. And it just kind of like the light bulb moment. I used to watch that film a lot with my mom on VHS and, you know, it was just kind of loved it. And you're in that scene with um, Joe Pesci and Danny Glover, yeah, yeah, Danny Glover. In, the, in the consular. And that kind of, I suppose, what you've just explained about, you know, the the transition and, and you know, becoming really good at comedies because your scene, is, although you're in it for a short period of time, is actually quite memorable because mm -hmm. of your reaction to Danny Glover. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you, when you ask the question, it's like your reaction is, but you're black kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's kind of stood out for me. I was like 33 years, like since that film came out and I'm thinking, wow, I'm talking to Jim. And it's like, you know, kind of, I've watched that film so many times and yeah, yeah it's kind of crazy thinking about it. That was my first ever film. That was my first ever wow. film. I, I'd done TV before that, but no film. And um, the reason that line became kind of, almost a catchphrase for the movie was because Joe Pesci, it made him laugh every time I said it. And he repeated it, I think, a couple of times later in the movie. Yes. Um, he, did, Danny, yeah. he said, but you're blick. Uh, and to this day, I still have people, I mean, incredible for first film to have a catchphrase in the biggest, <laughs> the top grossing film of that year, which yeah. was in, insane. Um, and, and I still have people yell at me, you know, across the street, but you're blick. Uh, and, and, and almost inevitably they are themselves black which is hilarious um you know i met some some rapper and and, and, and he's like oh yeah hi and he went oh my god but you're black <laughs> and it's, it's become a calling card um yeah. brilliant. but it's funny you say about you know who is he I, I in the introduction to the book i say you know i didn't this isn't an a-list biography or autobiography and, and that's why it's as much about the observed as the observer because i don't think anyone's that interested in the jim piddock story i mean i'm not that interested in the jim piddock story <laughs> um but i thought that you know the people i've worked with and and sort of my journey from that the, my angle was maybe interesting but i said you know that that um if you stopped a random person on the street and said you know tell them my name they maybe one in ten would know it and if you showed them a picture of me, about five or six in ten would mm. probably almost certainly know. And then if you gave them a list of all the things I've been in or written, I would say nine, probably all ten, you know, would say yes. Ten out of ten would say I know, I've seen that or I've seen that. So it's, I'm in a weird position. And the, the chapter I, I talk about it in is, uh, is I do it in the introduction and say, I, I apologise for this, but I, and I don't go around conducting these kind of surveys on the street, just so you know. But, but I said, there's a chapter entitled, uh, I Know You From Somewhere. 
Mm-hmm. And that's um, that's what I get a lot of. I mean, some people, obviously, in New York and LA, and, and sometimes London, people know they they just know it, it, they're, if they're in show business, they usually know who I am. But there are so many people who, oh, it's you know, at a supermarket, oh, some some come and go. Oh God, I know you from somewhere. What is it? Was it? Is your kid at, at, uh, at Westfield School? Or is it? No, no, no. And then eventually, you kind of mumble as humbly as you can maybe because i'm an actor <laughs> and and then and then you get the, that's a mistake because then they say oh what have you done and then you end up having to sort of like recite your resume which is a conversation no actor ever wants to get into in, in on a public forum um it's like looking for a needle in a haystack you know that especially with me i've got what i don't know 100 and 30 i don't know credits i don't know what it is and uh and, and a lot less interesting than looking for a, a needle in a haystack uh, but there was one woman who, who did it that really made me laugh um she she did the same thing i was in line to see oh i know you from somewhere and i just went straight back with oh okay and and i um i said it's possibly because i am an actor and she went really with absolute certainty she said oh no no it's not that <laughs> and it just really made me laugh because it was she was so sure, and I'm thinking I just I almost couldn't reply. I was laughing, and and she didn't know why I was laughing. I said, "Oh well, I'm I don't know then because I don't know you at all." And she sort of then tried to figure out where it was. Where did I work in the local, you know, greengrocers or towards? <laughs> we kind of got nowhere, and and then she still I think you know just never believed that I was actually it was because I was an actor. But that's so you can't you can't win. That that's the thing. See, um, is that I, I love sort of like I said when, once I realised who you were, and so ple- I'm so bl- glad that you took that hit with the the graciousness that you know I didn't mean any offence by it, but it was a case of like I love sort of seeing you, you know you, you you see these actors in different films and TV, and you think and say they've been in loads of different things and you think oh yeah i know them from somewhere and then they pop up and they must have so many interesting stories because they like you said they don't tend to be the focus of the piece that you know but they see everything that's going on so that's why i'm really looking forward to um reading your book because just like um uh, listen to bruce campbell's a couple of books that he's done and again it's like so you know he's worked with some of the biggest directors biggest actors but he's looking at it from a different point of view himself yeah, so yeah. you must have, like you said that where's all of your inspirations come from yeah well i mean the the thing is that for me i, I was always set out to be a character actor and a disguise actor to me that was the fun part of it and that i was able to do in the christopher guest movies that's the definition you know we all put on silly beards and wigs and you know hats and you make ourselves look completely different as we can so 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 there was an element that people have an excuse not to recognize me or to go i look vaguely familiar um so so there is that uh and i and i think you know my career has been sort of really right down the middle i'm a sort of upper middle class part of the business i've done leads in independent movies big you know roles and carried them uh and but but those are more art house movies and 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 the big commercial stuff i've generally been you know a cameo or a supporting role um so it's it's understandable i mean television is more of a medium where people you're in people's living rooms and they do remember um but but i was always you know in american televisions early part of my career now things sort of travel more so i was far better known in america than in england um, but and, and then there's, as you say, it's, for you, it was Lethal Weapon. For a lot of people, it's Friends, you know, globally. One episode of Friends. Uh, I think I had two scenes in that episode. 
but you know, there was like Elliot Gould was in that episode, and, and Morgan Fairchild, and Christine Baranski, and they had, I think, less than I did to do in, in it. And you're thinking Elliot Gould was one of the biggest comedy stars yeah. in Hollywood just a few years before. And we're here we are, and we're all sitting here, the old lags on set, doing bits and pieces. Um, but that show, globally, I mean, it's been seen by so many people. Yeah, and multiple is. times. Yeah. And multiple generations. You mentioned Christopher Guest. And yeah. when I told Tina, my other half, that I was going to have a chat with you, um, she did have a question for you, because she and myself are big Christopher Guest fans. And she wanted to know, how did you come to be within you know the christopher guest universe and be involved because best in show a mighty wind i mean just absolutely yeah. superb but how did you first make contact with christopher um I, I will tell you uh in the brief version there's a chapter called double duties in the book which explains how it uh, happened i knew eugene levy socially and Catherine o'hara um and i'd met chris once or twice at parties or people's houses and um it was i was at a point actually in my career where I was re my writing career really taken off and I was writing movies and TV shows and, and I was beginning to worry that my acting career was sort of, um, had been canceled without, you know, anyone telling me, uh, wasn't unmutual consent. Um, and so I, I was doing, I hadn't done that much in that previous six months or year. And then I got a call out of the blue from Eugene and he said, look, um, Chris and I, you know, we, we did this film. I mean, I actually went to the premiere of Waiting for Guffman. So he said, we, we did Guffman and we're going to do a follow-up, but it's about a dog show. And there's a role I think you'd be right for. I'd love you to come in and meet with me and Chris. So I went into their offices and um, Chris and Eugene are both, um, how do I put this uh, delicately, um, socially uncomfortable. They're not mm -hmm. the most gregarious of people. Um I am, a, believe it or not, an introvert by nature, but, you know, in a social situation, I come out of my shell. Um, and so I found myself babbling to these two people in their office just to fill the silences because it was kind of really awkward. And then after about 10 minutes, I went, I, I'm just, this is really uncomfortable. I'm going to cut this short. So I got up and I said, look, guys, here's a DVD, because we used to have those in those days, of some of the things I've done. I think Eugene knows a bit of what I've done. Um, but Chris, I don't know if you do. So here's the DVD. And if it's in what you're looking for, I'd be more than happy to do it. You know, maybe I'd love to. I, I love you guys. I think it's the best comedy troupe in, in the world, improvisational troupe. Mm -hmm. And so I went away and I'm driving home thinking, oh God, how could I have handled that better? I was just a babbling idiot. And the phone rang in the car and... Um, and it was Chris. And he said in his very quiet, deadpan way, oh, hi, this is Chris Guest. Um, <laughs> would you like to be in the movie? And I said, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, I'd love to. Um, but then there was a sort of wrinkle after that because I'd sold a show to the BBC as a writer and a producer with Mark Addy and um, Alex Jennings. And, um, and actually Hugh Bonneville was originally going to be in it, but couldn't because he had a clash. And, and Lee Majors, of all people. Was in it. it was a sitcom uh, for BBC One, and I was doing that. And so uh, they needed me for three days for Best in Show, and I thought I'm not going to be able to do this because that's in Vancouver and I'm in London doing these six episodes. Yeah. So, but we managed to work it out. The, the BBC were very good and accommodating, and Chris 
was too. And so what we arranged was I did the table read on a Monday morning of the show, which was called Too Much Sun. I gave my notes to the actors and the director. Then I went straight to Heathrow, got on a plane, flew to Vancouver, which is about 11, 12 hours or whatever. And then I had dinner that night with Chris and Eugene and Fred Willard, who's uh, my partner in the film, uh, the comedy partner. And they said, well, we're, we're running a little behind, so you've got Tuesday off, um, which I was really happy about because I was so jet-lagged. And then they said they sent me away for 10 minutes from the meal because they wanted to talk to Fred about what he was going to do in the film and go over it without me knowing, so my reactions would be completely genuine. And then the next day went by, and Tuesday night I got a call from the, one of the ADs saying, we're still a bit behind, can we bump it another day? And I said, yeah, it's fine, you know, it's fine. And then Thursday, you know, Wednesday night came and, and I got another call saying we're still behind. Can you shoot on Friday? And I went, that's when I had to say, no, I can't actually. I'm on a plane on Thursday night because i got to be back for the run through, the tech run through of the sitcom and the taping in the evening. Mm. And so we, we shot that. Fred and I shot all our stuff from dawn to, well, pre-dawn till post-dusk uh, on the Thursday uh, in an empty stadium um because they'd shot all the dog stuff we had a few extras behind us to make it look full and i i can't remember if they did cgi on that film but um and then we would chris would play back some of the dog show and we would comment on it you know he'd say okay just now comment or he would describe you know okay now it's the hound group and then somebody's hobbling in here whatever so so i think it's probably the most amount of film that's ended up in a film because we ended up being in the film for about 25 minutes, I think 30 minutes, Fred and I across the last third act of the film. I think it's probably the most amount of film that's ever been shot in one day. It has to be certainly a, that I've been involved with yeah. um, because that, that's an incredible amount of footage. And it was just us all day solidly for uh, 12 hours, I think. And, and Fred, of course, if people who know the film, it's kind of a bit of a cult classic. It was not even oh, a cult yeah. classic, it's a classic. It is a classic, um, yeah. And still holds up brilliantly to this day. And Fred was a genius. He's a genius. And, and um, yeah, it was heartbreaking that he died while I was writing this book. Um, you know, he's in his mid-80s, but he and I had become extremely close friends and I'd see him, you know, three or four or five times a year. Um, <clears throat> so that was, that was a real loss because mm -hmm. people who don't know Fred Willard's work, you need to see it because he's, I think one of the great comedy actors, American comedy actors, certainly of my lifetime. Um, he played the boorish American bull in a China shop guy, <laughs> stupid guy, uh, better than anybody in the world. I mean, he was a genius. And my job in that film was to be real and to be um, to be a dog expert, which a lot of people who didn't know my work as an actor thought I was, which was great. That was the ultimate compliment. Um, and then to react. And, and I knew enough about comedy by that time that you don't compete with someone like Fred. I mean, it's a, that's a, a rambunctious monkey who's drunk and driving the car, you know, so you've got to basically go along for the ride and let him get the big jokes in and then react to it in a way that you get two laughs instead yeah. of one. And anyone that's been a straight man in a comedy act knows that you can actually often get as more laughs yeah. as the straight man in yeah. your reactions. If you're clever as the, the, protagonist as it were or the provo provocator and 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 i think i did, did get my fair share i mean i i certainly got a great one in at the end when he made the most inane joke 
another inane one, uh, a comment, and I and I just turned to him and said, "Yes, I remember you said that last year," uh, and that basically just cut his testicles off. I beg you could hear them bouncing <laughs> on the ground afterwards. Um, and but having but, and it was Chris edited it together brilliantly because mm. I was trying to get uh, an arc of being bemused by this kind of idiot who I'm stuck with doing this TV show, but I can't show you know my horror <laughs> because I'm live on television. Yeah. So he just gets more and more absurd, and I'm getting more and more bemused. Then I'm amused at first and then confused, then bemused. And then finally, I, I'm fucking annoyed. But again, I can't show it. <laughs> so I just sort of hide it. And my favourite bit in the movie is actually not that line where I stabbed him in the heart at the very end. But my favourite bit was when he said something really stupid. And I just, I didn't have an instant reply. And I thought, no, I, this, and I just turned very slowly and looked at him. And clearly had no idea what to say and then just looked back <laughs> and continued. Uh, and it was, to me, the funniest thing I've ever done on film in many ways. I, I thought it was so, and I, and as I said, that, that, that film became a, a benchmark for me of, oh, yeah, that's how you can, it, you don't have to do anything, you know. And, and uh, mm. that was funnier than me coming back with a response at that particular moment, you know. And Chris has always maintained, Chris Guest, that, he tells people who are new to this kind of work, way of working, where it's, you know, improvisation based on a very detailed outline, um, don't feel the necessity to do something. You know, yeah. people don't, you know, people are quiet in conversations and you can react and only speak when you feel like you, it's time to say something. Mm -hmm. So that's hard to learn for some people because they think, Oh God, I got to, I got to contribute the six of us in this scene. I got to get my jokes in, or I got to do this. I got to do that. And I think the clever people sort of just wait for their moment. I mean, I found that with Chris O'Dowd in family tree, which is a show I wrote with Chris guest and he and I were both in um, for HBO and the BBC and um, Chris O'Dowd was the lead in it. And Chris was a master at that Chris O'Dowd knowing how to get laughs and how to react because he was not, the actual wacky guy doing crazy things. He was the person in the middle holding it all together. Yeah. And, and he was superb at that. And he got a bit worried at times going, you know, am I doing anything that's funny? And I'm going, yes, trust it. It's really funny because you can't have everybody being a crazy because it, you get out of reality. And with a, a sister who's got a monkey puppet on her hand 24 seven, who everyone treats as a member of the family, and, and a best friend who's the stupidest human being on the planet, who says the most ridiculous, mentally ill things. You can't, you know, there's no point in trying to out-crazy the crazies. And so he was superb at navigating that and knowing how to be funny uh, and, and, and get the lion's share of the laughs. How do you stop yourself laughing in situations like that when you're getting in the improvisational stuff, when you're getting stuff thrown at you that is is hilarious and you've got to react to it? Like you said, you reacted on Best in Show by just turning. How do yeah. you stop yourself just from just corpsing completely? Well, people did say, how did you keep a straight face at Best in Show? And my honest answer is I actually didn't. And you can see it, but it worked because the character could be slightly amused and be trying to hide it because he's got a show to do yeah. on camera. So you do actually see the you know, my corners of my mouth going and I mean, you know, just genuinely appreciate. But that was me absolutely trying not to lose my shit. Um, <laughs> it's really difficult. I mean, I... Uh, Oh, this is awful. So, uh, in a later Christopher Guest film, Ricky Gervais made his film debut. Mm. 
he was in that. And I knew, I, I love Rick, he, it, he's brilliant. And I knew he's a terrible corpse. And, and he his laugh is absolutely infectious, as, yeah. as people know. And I, in this first scene, I was really bad that day. I was bored, I think, or something. And I didn't have much to do in the scene. And I was sitting with Ed Begley. And, um, and Ricky had to walk past us and then talk to somebody in the scene. And it was so juvenile. It's so juvenile. And people are going to think, really badly of me this but every time he walked by i would either just go i'd just do a little fart noise just the slightest one at the moment he passed us or i'd go can't can't um and he couldn't get a line out he couldn't get a line out and chris guest was going what the fuck you know i know ricky's a giggler but this is ridiculous and it got to the point where i had to stop because we would never have got the scene and and Ricky was such a good sport about it. And 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 I felt I went home that day and I went, what got into you? Why did you do that? I didn't know Ricky at that point that well. I just was being really kind of childish. And um I I I, I saw him the next day and I said, I'm really sorry about that. I was really irresponsible. And I know it was your first film. And he said he looked at me and he started laughing again. He went, ah. he said, Don't. no, he said, I would have done exactly the same to anyone I knew who was a, a corpse. He said, no, 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 it's fair game. He said, yeah, no, that would have been me if, if the situations had been reversed. So I felt a bit better. It's a great bit. I was watching the uh, your comedy reel that's on YouTube the other day, and there's a great bit in it. And I don't oh. want to give too much away because people should go and oh watch it. Oh my god, that all was I'm gonna, extraordinary! All I'm going to say is it involves the word gonorrhea and you eating something. I'll let people put oh. the pieces together. And so the the actress that was with you, I was I was crying with laughing watching that. It, it, oh it, my god, I, I know. don't that know was how... Emily, Emily Blunt, the <laughs> brilliant Emily. The, I absolutely adore Emily. And it was my first scene on the film. And I had actually, originally, the parents had rather big roles. Um, and then they got cut down because they wanted the younger people in the film. But, um, boy, God, that was, yeah, it was, it was incredible. Because Emily, I, I had never met before. Um, I think I'd met her at the read-throughs of, of the film. And she was playing my daughter. And I'll just very briefly set the scene. And I, it's in a hospital uh, waiting room. And I ha I'm telling her... I, I'm a total womanizer, and I left her mother years before. And in each scene, you see me with a different Asian girlfriend who's half my age. It's a sort of running gag through the movie. There's a different one in each scene. And um, I'm telling her, my daughter, how why her mother left me. It was because I gave her gonorrhea that I'd contracted in Thailand. <laughs> and it was kind of a me awkward t telling. And the director made... A fatal mistake in this. I, I, is this X-rated? This podcast? Yeah, yeah. You can say whatever uh, you want. Yeah. Uh, the director made a fatal mistake of saying, "Oh, great! You know, this is really funny, Joe. It's great." And now, um, you're, I was eating this horrible big donut. It was like a bear's claw donut with tons of icing on it and stuff. And I was eating it throughout the whole scene, which was already making Emily laugh the whole time. And we have one of those things that happens when you sometimes meet actors we couldn't look at each other in the eye because we just go in fact she'd go and then her going would make me go so uh he said the director nick stoller god bless him said um jim why don't you just ad-lib a line about how that donut reminds you of gone the, the frosting on the donut <laughs> reminds you of gonorrhea and i <laughs> it's classy huh 
because this is so tasteless this whole uh, I brought you I brought your podcast to the lowest common denominator I promise this book has a has a very high spiritual self-help side to it. um and so I did this and um we never got it we never could do it because every time I'd begin saying as a matter of fact this uh I was playing a guy from Manchester as a matter of fact this um it's, uh, it's still not reminds me a bit of uh, a gonorrhea. <laughs> I, I couldn't even get to the word, and she was gone every single time. And, and you've seen the, the the outtakes, and it went on and on and on. And you can finally hear Nick saying, "Just just think of something serious. Just just say the lines. Just don't don't." And Emily's going, "Okay, taking a deep breath. Okay, I'm not going to laugh. I'm not going to laugh." And then we'd stop, and there'd be a pause, and I'd I'd, I'd literally take a breath before I'd say my line. And she'd go, and she said, "Don't stop breathing. Stop taking a breath. That's making me laugh now." And it got to the point where we never ever got it, and and the scene never ended up in the movie. I think we sabotaged it. It's a shame because it, it really was funny, and um, I, I guess actually the corpsing is a funnier. The outtakes are probably funnier. Uh, so yeah, that that's uh, that that was. Um, it doesn't happen that often. It doesn't happen that often, surprisingly. Really, uh, oh. it, it's. Um, it's very rare on stage. I've made other people laugh on stage, but uh, uh, but I, I I'm pretty disciplined. I just <laughs> I'm just the practical joker who who, who kind of gets other people. Um, yeah, uh, someone asked me in a different uh, interview whether I'd ever made myself go. You know, I'd ever crack myself up, and and I uh, I, I there was it was a it was a, a mighty wind. Um, mm. It was another Chris Guest movie, and again, it never ended up in the movie because. I played this very nerdy character who's kind of just the opposite of what I did at Best in Show, who is a bit of a tactless guy who doesn't quite know. He's a model train enthusiast and sells catheters for a living. And I, uh, Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy had a scene where they were trying to rehearse this beautiful folk number. And I'm married to Catherine O'Hara and Eugene is her ex. So it's kind of a slightly loaded situation. And I'm sitting there while they're rehearsing, eating a bowl of nuts, like, cashew nuts and reading something and i'm sitting there in a jogging shorts that were those awful i'd specifically asked these dreadful jogging shorts from the 70s you know those ones that were so short (laughs) that you you know basically the last turkey in in the shop is hanging out (laughs) so it's already and my legs are wide open sitting in this chair and they're trying to rehearse and I'm eating these, cracking these, and I'm cracking up nuts. I was always a cracking open walnuts with nutcrackers. And, and it keeps, they keep you know, stopping them and then turning to me. And I'd be like completely oblivious. And then I thought I'd, I'll elaborate on this. I'll, I'll kind of I'll do a bit, a bit here. And I dropped a nut into my shorts and then started trying to fish around find it inside my shorts. <laughs> and I, could, I couldn't do it without cracking myself up. And the crew, and Chris, everybody just went every time because it was so disgusting and so shameless. And again, I don't think we... We probably did get it, but Chris had the good taste and sense not to put it in the movie because it was, it was grotesque. It was appalling. And Chris and Eugene just could they, they had to leave. I think I just ended up doing the scene without them because they couldn't they couldn't do it without laughing, you know. I mean couldn't get through it. 
You'll either be thrilled or horrified to know this. You possibly know it already, but the first picture that if you click on IMDb is that actual shot of you. I'm looking at it now with you, uh, with your shorts on and um, no. some, some sandals on. And uh, you can see the nuts on the table. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> You're pulling my plonker. I'm not. I'm, I can see it. I can pretty much see it in the picture, but no, I'm not pulling it, honestly. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. You have to. I don't think I've seen that picture. You have to send it to me. Um, yes, email me the email me the picture. Um, anyway, I'm giving you very long answers to short questions. Sorry oh about no, that. this it's is your great. show. Oh no, no, <laughs> it's talk now. So it's, tell me about you. Tell me. About you. <laughs> I want to. I want to know, Jim, because we're talking about you know laughing and and fun and everything. What about Dick? I mean, what what a cast people? Billy Connolly. Billy Connolly is a guy, and yeah. I've said on the show before. He made me laugh so hard. Uh, I thought I honestly thought I was going to die. I couldn't yeah. catch my breath. It was uh, it was back in '81. I went to the Isle of Man to see the TT races, and yeah, he yeah. was doing a gig there. And I watched him, and I can remember it now. I I really and this is no exaggeration. I really did think I might die because I I can't breathe. I couldn't see half of what he was doing through tears. Yeah. just crying with laughing i mean people yeah. like that and eddie Izzard and even more i mean eric idle i can only imagine what it must have been like to to work with people like that it was amazing i mean eric i've worked with many times we we became close friends after doing the worst movie that's ever been made um called burn hollywood burn um an alan smithy film and, and there's a whole story about that in the book but but yeah what about dick came about it was originally a film script that Eric had written called uh, The Remains of the Piano, which was supposed to be a parody of the kind of um, all the Merchant Ivory type films. And mm. it was very silly and lots of double entendres, absolutely full of double entendres. And it was it, it was at Miramax for a while and, and we'd done a reading or two of it and it, and it somehow never got made as these things happen. And, and, and Eric said, I'm, I think I'm going to write this as a, as a film for radio. And I said, what? He said, no, no, it's going to be as if we were doing a radio show. Um, and, but it's on stage and with old school effects. So you've got a sand pit with things and you've got bells and whistles and things and all the sounds are done on stage. And so it, it came about, he, 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 he and the producer Arnold Elgerman booked this theatre in 2007 in Hollywood. Um, and it was an amazing cast. It was, uh, it was Billy Connolly, uh, Tim Curry, uh, Russell, no, Russell Brown was in the second version, mm -hmm. uh, and Sophie Winkleman, they came into the second version of it. Uh, but Eddie Izzard, Eric, Jane Leaves, myself, Tracy Ullman, and Emily Mortimer were in the first version. And it was sold out within seconds, and it was sort of lines around the block, trying to get people trying to get returns and stuff. And it was amazing, and the show was hugely successful. And then we did a five years later. We did it in a bigger theatre, two thousand seat theatre in in downtown LA, and it was filmed. And it was actually now you can watch it on Netflix. It's good. What, what about Dick? Mm -hmm. And it's two hours of non-stop double entendres <laughs> with probably the, one of the best comedy casts of British actors, yeah. British comedians you, you'll you'll see. Other than I'm thinking things like um, uh, com com what's the thing they used to do um, com the comedy things to raise money. Uh, uh, do you know what I'm talking about? They used to do them at the Palladium, the, 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 the fundraisers. Um, oh, like Red Nose Day, things like that, or... What's that? Yeah, right, Red Nose Day, exactly. Yeah, but yeah. there was something before that that, that they, they did these shows. I mean, that's the only other time I can think of. Um, but, but Billy probably... I mean, everyone was great in it, but Billy probably stole the show. Um, 
he, ha- he plays a Scottish detective with a terrible speech defect. Um, and uh, he was brilliant. Um, and he, he's question. I, I, I kind of got to know him very well through that and sort of socially too. And um, he, he also uh, likes Crystal Palace. He's a Celtic supporter, but um, I'm a huge Crystal Palace fan. Um, for those of you, if, if this is going out on video, you'll see it on my shirt, mm-hmm. uh, the logo. Um, so he, had, when he first moved to London, he and his brother uh, started watching Palace because they loved the name. He said, it's so exotic. Uh, and so he went down there and um, became a bit of a sort of part-time Palace fan. So whenever Palace win, I get a text. First person is usually Billy going, great win, whatever, you know. Um, but but he is without a question. This was a question I, I, I got asked recently by a couple of people. Uh, who's the funniest person you work with? The funniest person I've met in my life is Billy Connor. Uh, in in work or out of work. I mean, at a dinner party, you don't want him to, ever to stop. You don't want anyone else to talk. Yeah. He'll tell a story, and you go next, next, next. Just keep talking for two or three hours. Mm-hmm. I'm more than happy. Uh, and he he's um, he's just genuinely naturally the most funny person i've ever met in my life yeah i'm listening to his audiobook at the moment windswept and interesting and it's i don't know if you've heard, read it or listened i've read to it. it i've read it yeah um it's great it's great it is but he, he well he actually narrates it so if you can imagine his beautiful voice and he's kind of telling all of these stories and uh it's it's amazing going back to your well going to your book which i'm really looking forward to is is that going to become available as an audio version as well Yes, I've done the audio book. I did that, finished it, and they've delivered that. So uh, at the moment, I don't know when this is going out, uh, but uh, right now you can order the ebook, the um, the audio book, and the hard copy book. The, um, the it's actually a paperback, not a, not hardback. The pa- are both available to all pre-order from March the thirteenth, and then everything is 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 uh, you can just get it on March twenty third. Um, you know, Amazon's the usual, the easiest, but any of the Barnes and Noble, whatever you is your book book uh, store of choice, but Amazon seems to be most people's go to. Um, but yeah, you can pre order it, and if you do that, you'll get it probably on March twenty third or twenty fourth. Um, uh, but yes, that that that's that's the the the, the timeline. I was just going to read you from Billy, just going back a sec because mm. <laughs> it amused me. Uh, I, I got about three dozen wonderful celebrity endorsements for the book. Um, uh, and most of them are very, very overly generous. Um, but Billy was, I think, the one person who who roasted me, which is great because <laughs> I wanted one of those at least because everyone else is gushing. Um, and he wrote this, which I said, Jim Piddock has written a book. Good for him. Jim Jim hangs around in Los Angeles and goes to parties at Eric Idle's house where lots of famous folk ask him what he does for a living. <laughs> I've always liked him. He makes me feel very famous. I should do this with his accent. People feel sorry for him because he supports Crystal Palace, who helped to make up the numbers in the English Premier League. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was Billy Connolly. So Billy Connolly, CBE's lovely tribute, the cunt. Um, uh, He has a a sign hanging in when he owned a place in Scotland. I don't know, he still has it saying there's no excuse for cuntishness, <laughs> which is fabulous. Um, you know, there you go. 
uh, what I love is that, you know, like I said, from going back to my, I suppose, my earlier kind of comment question, whatever you want to call it, about, you know, first seeing, well, not knowing necessarily who you were by your name, but then discovering who you were, through your work, et cetera, is that you know, uh, you know, you're connected to a lot of the people that we love, you know, and I think that's mm-hmm. the brilliant thing. I'm looking forward to finding out a bit more about the book. He's like, you mentioned uh, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara, and we, we love Shits Creek, don't we? Dave, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, you introduced me to that. It's such a brilliant show. And, you know, like that's part of the reason why I think, you know, once I've realized who you were and then looking at, I think I, I knew that you were going to have some amazing stories about the people that you know and people you've worked with mm-hmm. throughout your life. Yeah. You and, know. and to follow up on that as well, Jim, do you ever, and specifically since you put this book together, do you ever look back and go, holy shit, yeah, I've, I've worked with them. I've had that experience and had that experience and just take a moment yeah. to go, Wow, you know, because just from the flavour yeah. that you've given us of the stories already, you know, we can't wait to to read the book. So, absolutely, does that ever hit? Yeah, you Yeah, no, I mean, I do sometimes pinch myself. I mean, when I was doing What About Dick, I was on the stage with those people, and uh, um, it was amazing to be in that company. And I had a lot to do in the first version. I was I probably had more than anyone. I was racing around playing character after character after character from microphone to microphone. It became almost a running gag that I would do a new silly voice here and then another silly voice here and it went on and on. Um, so yeah, I did do sometimes pinch myself um, uh, that, 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 that I have had this career, which has been very, very broad in its scope. And, and um, I have worked with the most amazing people and um, I, I don't, I, I knew that the book was going to be shameless name dropping. I'm just, I knew that. And I well, don't apologize for that. Oh, no. uh, one chapter I think is called name dropping for England. Um, and I think people like that because again, it's more interesting than the Jim Piddock story, but people in show business might be interested in what it's like to, to navigate four decades, 43 years. I've been in show business um, as a, both a writer and an actor and a producer. So I think there's an element of people and people who want to be in show business that will be interested. But, but you know, your average punter wants to hear about who, who's, you know, th- there is one chapter, and again, I can swear, can't I? I've already sworn so much. Why <laughs> yeah, I, I think so, yeah. <laughs> um, there is one chapter that we, it's the only thing that the, the publisher made me asterisk. And it was, uh, it's, it's, a, it's 10 A-list actors I've worked with, Nine I loved, and one was a cunt. <laughs> and in the book, it's one was a four asterisks. Okay? And I eliminate one by one who the good guys are. And I t- wow. say why they're the good guys. And it, some of them are, are shocking, because I actually did this originally on Facebook, and people voted. I held, like, a contest that went on for over a week, because people were like, oh, God. And then each day I would eliminate someone. And some of those, quite a few candidates, you know, and of, and no one, the, the vast majority of people didn't guess right. Um, there are some that are like, okay, well, that's, you really are playing against type. I mean, Tom Hanks was in that list. You're going, really? Well, I guess you could, you know, that could be a curveball that no one was expecting that Tom <laughs> Hanks is really troublemaker. But um, so anyway, that that is a chapter that I enjoy very much and I think people will enjoy. And I absolutely eviscerate the person in question. Um, I really don't pull any punches. And, I, and, and that is, I think, what people are responding to in the book is that I am at a point in my career where I really don't care. I, and there are three people. That's it. Three people that I totally eviscerate. Two I semi-eviscerate, and the, the rest are it's it's all good stories. And there are people who you think maybe are four asterisks, and I reveal that they're not actually. Yeah, you know, far from it. I mean, 
Russell Brand is a Marmite to most people. You either love him or you hate him. And he's nothing like what a lot of people imagine. And I write a, quite a piece on him because I, I was actually write, asked to write an article about him for a magazine. Um, I think it was called Town and Country. I can't know what it was. And, and, I, and I blew the lid off what he really is there uh, by saying, you know, he's a narcissistic, preening, uh, self-involved, egomaniacal, sex maniac, uh, ex-junkie, this, but I love him, and I'll tell you why. Mm. Um, and and he, I don't know him super well, I'll be honest. He, he's one of the most engaging people on a one-to-one conversation. For someone who has ADD, ADHD, he, he's incredibly focused, and his life has become so sort of spiritually orientated now and so other-directed. Um, which is extraordinary for such a narcissist. Um, and, and I love what I always loved about him was that he was the first to tell you all of those things about himself. Yeah. But he was one of the first people who responded when I said, I've got this book, you know. Um, I got a text almost immediately saying, whatever you want, I'll read it and give you an honest reaction. And I, I'm just going to plug the book with one more quote, okay? Yeah. yeah. I promise I won't do any more because this is shameless. And it's, um, <laughs> it, but it, he said, Jim has done that rare thing that perhaps only Michael Caine and David Niven have done before, conjured a funny, inclusive, whimsical and magical tale about the peculiar interior of the world of film and film stars, as warm and immersive as fentanyl without the social damage, one hopes. (laughs) Um, Which I thought was great and it was very kind and it was my dream because I sort of, when I was growing up, the David Niven books were my... That I probably I don't know if I'd have ever come to Hollywood without having read them. I was so enchanted by yeah, it. Yeah. And he painted such a lovely, fun picture. And he's so the stories are so good. Mm-hmm. And that was my benchmark. And I loved Michael Caine's uh, memoir too. I mean, same similar type of thing. So it was like the dream reaction. But but I I think I do that with a few people. I sort of say, well, th- these people, this person has a terrible reputation. And I was dreading working with them because everyone said they were so difficult and they were absolutely lovely. So there is some revelations of that kind. Um, uh, and, and uh, the, 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 you know, the people I, I give it to I, with both barrels really do. I do. I mean, I don't just eviscerate them. It's scorched earth and I piss on their corpse. Um, and two of them are very much alive and well and very well known in show business. And one is dead so he can't sue me <laughs> so that's okay there um but again uh i generally it's in good spirit and i do it in a humorous way and mm. the biggest butt of the, the book is me you know in terms of uh, you know telling self-deprecatory or um embarrassing stories or i i eviscerate myself on many occasions um, some of the, the, the appalling things i've done and um <laughs> just shameless stuff that's just awful and embarrassing things that have happened to me. I mean, hence the title of the, the book, which yeah. is based on three separate incidents uh, of, of actually literally, I mean, it became a metaphor. Caught with my pants down is sort of a metaphor of I'm going to reveal all now because yeah. that's what I spent my life doing is sort of exposing myself. But now here's the real exposure. Um, but the three separate incidents where it literally happened to me. I, I And um, someone, some interviewer I did recently on a TV show said, um, surely once is a mistake, you know, twice <laughs> the Oscar Wildline, t- t- twice is careless, three times is some whatever. Uh, and how, how, three times, did you not learn? And I said, well, they were different circumstances. 
and they were in different countries. <laughs> one was in England, uh, one was in um, in a doctor's office in in LA, uh, and one was in the south of France. Uh, and each time, I got caught with my pants down, and um, within totally different circumstances. Uh, so, so that that hence the title of the book, which is not a question you asked me, but I've just answered it. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the thing I've learned through this last hour or so of just chatting with you, I think, is that I guess you know you don't take yourself or life too seriously and you learn you know you've learned to laugh at the situation that you find yourself in as well you know and yeah. i guess is that that's what comes across you know uh well you started off telling us about you know how you started your acting career by farting sort of yeah. you know and that's that's brilliant we that's what we love isn't it you know oh, those yeah. kinds of stories I think that's something I'd love to get out there for the people listening to the audio show and the people watching the video show. Lots, you know, lots of names have been mentioned. And like you said, Jim, everybody is interested in all the different names yeah. and people that we've yeah. talked about. But when it boils down to it, it's it's you, Jim, and, yeah. and the, the great body of work that you've put on stage, on camera, in TV shows, in films, and, yeah. and, and you as an actor and the great work that you've done. It just boils down to that as well. And, you know, I applaud you for everything that you've done. Well, thank you very much. I mean, there's there's a couple of chapters in the book that are more serious. There's a couple of emotional chapters, which actually have nothing to do with show business, really. Um, there's two back-to-back that are, that are definitely m- much more emotional. Mm. Uh, and, and, and I think a number of people, I think uh, Hugh Bonneville was someone who really noticed, he said it's it's a tearjerker at times, which is nice to be able to do both. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and so there is that side of it. And, and and the other thing that was weird about the whole process, because I did set out to write a series of funny stories and anecdotes mm. and and, um, and keep it short and sharp, each one. And if there wasn't a good story in a chapter, it would go. It had to have a good anecdote in, yeah. in that story, in that chapter. It was, it was out of the book. But one of the things that came through, which was really interesting, there were sort of three themes that came out of it as I was writing it, which I had no idea would when I started and one was my eternal search for family and my my family and what the meaning of family is to me. Mm. Uh, and I end up concluding that I actually have four families, um, <laughs> my biological family, my immediate family, which is basically very small. It's my daughter and my my infinitely better half, Annie, and, um, and my Crystal Palace family, which is mm-hmm. a very, very tight uh, family and a very large one. But it's a genuine one. I mean, I've been kind of hands-on involved with that club for for fifty years, yeah. and and my showbiz family. So, uh, and 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 I and I kind of put the thread. I put it sort of occurred to me by the time I got to the end, and I went back and sort of accentuated what I was looking for in this part of my life. And I always saw. I always found that each play cast I was in, or each movie cast, became my new surrogate family. And I think because I was searching for that. Uh, what my family was, my, my, they, I made a lot of friends because of that and, mm-hmm. and relationships that have endured ever since. And, and, and more than normally, you know, you sort of may, might stay in touch with one or two people, but I, I have stayed in touch with a lot of people because they were to me family at that time. And that became valuable because of that. And we were in the trenches together. Yeah. So th- th- that theme came through. And then the other thing that I think came there's two other things that came through very strongly and, and I can talk about it a lot in the last chapter of the book is the importance of every choice you make. And this isn't a unique thought. So it's not a self-help book with this thrown in that, but I did realize that every single second of your life 
you're making choices. Mm -hmm. And they will determine who you are and what your life will be, your destiny and your character. And that suddenly became crystal clear to me as I looked back on my life, as opposed to looking forward and being in the present. And that was, again, it's nothing earth-shatteringly original that no one's heard before. But I think I make the point very clearly, and I point out where those moments were in my life that I went, going to America and staying in America, those were massive things. I was 24, you know, and I, nobody, I had a hundred dollars in my pocket when I came. Uh, And there are certain moments that you, you make life defining choices and others that are not, you know, but you never know. And you have to always remember uh, without getting preachy about this, because I really don't want to do that. But every single tiny thing, we are in control of in that, or we're not, but we, we have a choice to make. Mm-hmm. I could have done this show. I could have not done this show. Yeah. I could have, you know, just kept it to 10 minutes and said, give you the broad strokes, or or we could talk, whatever. And this show may reach someone who I never thought would, it would reach and that inspire them to do something with their life that they wouldn't have had the courage to do yeah. or not. Uh, or it may make someone hate me who used to like me. I don't know. <laughs> but every single choice has a, it's like a dropping a, a tiny pebble in a pond, the ripples. Mm. And I think we have to all realize that, that we affect not just ourselves, but other people. And that's really important as human beings to, to understand that. And I'm, if I am preaching to anyone, it's myself mm. that I realize that yeah. in the course of the book. And, and, and sort of connected to that, the third thing is that it's so important to live life to the fullest. Mm. We are here mm. for a nanosecond a nanosecond in the history of the world it literally i mean if it's a clock we, we we're here just for the 11 58 and 59 seconds you know we are really here for a blink of an eye mm-hmm. so don't wait do it whatever it is yeah take the risk don't get stuck i mean the mind nightmare when i was young i used to get bored very easily um and I, I was quite an introverted shy kid but i used to get bored and and I think that that helped me choose a job I wanted to do because I would have got bored shitless not doing that. And and it it made me take risks that I would never have taken if I hadn't sort of had that kind of attitude of um, what have you got to lose? And, and, and I think I say at one point in the book, I, I, I never turned down an opportunity to fail. <laughs> yeah. And I've fallen flat on my face God knows how many times my trousers have fallen down and I've been caught with my pants down. <laughs> God knows how many times, metaphorically and literally. But that's part of it. And it's entertaining as well as if you can be. And and it and it's sort of, there is also a bizarre kind of spiritual element to it. I'm not particularly religious at all, but I do think we have a, a, a sort of a spiritual nature. I, yeah. I hope to believe that, that, that we... Um, we sometimes neglect, you know. Yeah. Now, um, this is a slightly different ending. We started with farts and we ended up with spiritual <laughs> no, I, no, I think it's I think it's a really a really good way to end as well. And I think it's great, Jim, that you're continuing to keep busy. You're continuing making those choices, making your way Thank through. You. you can continue in, you're continuing to make more memories that will hopefully be in another book sometime in the future. Who knows? And we could, I know me and Chris, this last hour, well, over an hour, has flown by we could talk to you for hours more maybe sometime in the future especially when we've both well i think we're both going to get the audio book aren't we chris mm-hmm. yep. uh, yeah so, so when we've listened to that have you again on the show because there's so much we'd love to talk 
to you about with Jim. It would be great to have you back. I, I'd on. be happy to. I apologise if I babbled a bit, but um, no, th- th- you're the you perfect know. guest, Jim. I don't get out much. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. We love it. We don't have to say much. Let you come out with all the great stories. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. I, no, I, and I just want to say thank you for what you said at the end. I mean, I, I'm a big believer in you know um, positive thinking and, and like you said, going out there and doing things. And you know, it, it's just it's a perfect way to end the show. But well, slightly better than that. If you can click on in the chat um, window, I have actually put a link in there, and then um, that will send you a link to that picture that I was telling you about. Oh, <laughs> I never look while well, we're still. You can cut this out when you edit. But uh, oh, let me have a look. Yeah, I've just seen it. I'd just love to get your reaction whilst oh, we're recording. For, oh, my God. <laughs> You're right. Actually, God, I can't believe that. I've never seen that picture before. Never seen it. Actually, that wasn't the scene but but I because I was re- wearing running shorts. But I did, I did sort of then have a running thing of I would be – that was in a hotel room with a – I don't know if that scene ended up in the movie. I think it did. Maybe it didn't. Um how the, how the hell did that picture get out? But the, yeah, it was similar to that. And again, undignified picture. Mm. Uh, but there you go. That's the first picture that people will click on when they, uh, other than your headshot, which is the, you know. But, 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 what yeah. did you type in? You didn't just type Jim Piddock and that came up because that would be disaster. Yeah. On IMDb, yeah, Jim Piddock. And then, like I said, got your headshot as the initial sort of one, but then looked at the first photo. There you go. How hilarious. And I've never <laughs> seen that before. People are always sending me pictures to sign. And I've, for, from something and I've never seen that picture. Maybe you should sign those and send those off to people. Yeah, right across the crotch. (laughs) Uh, But that was the, definitely that was another scene, but I went, I'm going to go with this short, shorts, short, short, shorts thing uh, as a theme in in the movie. Yeah. Awesome. What a tasteful guest. Thank you so much. (laughs) No, thank you, Jim. This show will be out before the book is released. Everybody listening to it and watching it on YouTube, go out and pre-order it. Or if you're listening or watching later, it's out already. Go out and buy it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, for the sake of the edit, Jim, thank you so much for your time. Uh, and again, hopefully we'll have a chat to you in the future. And like I said, both myself and Chris are that, really that, looking forward to the book. So thank you very much. Yeah. That would be great. I'm hoping to be in the UK in April, May to, to do a bit of uh, promo for the book. So we'll see. Oh, please um, let us know if you're doing any book signings or anything. Yeah, uh, yeah. Good to come along. Yes, I will. I, I, we're sort of sorting that out now. I'm trying to do one um, in, in conjunction with other, uh, I should have mentioned, but I've committed a large portion of the, any profits I make from the book. Uh, if it does make any to two charities, uh, okay. one of which is the Palace for Life Foundation, which is, uh, Crystal Palace's charity that do incredible work in South London with getting uh, kids off the streets and out of gangs and through sport and other activities. And um, the other one is BAFTA, the British Academy's um, BAFTA's Access for All program in the United States, which offers opportunities to underprivileged kids uh, and minority kids who, who wouldn't normally have the shot at sort of entering the creative arts and uh, giving them a, a bit of a, a leg up in terms of how to enter the business or, or not into business but just to express themselves creatively um so those are two charities that are very close to my heart and i i decided early on this was a labor of love this book um so that's basically where the money's going so buy that book for the kids not for me yeah. <laughs> all I the more reason dime of it i won't see a dime of it and i don't i don't need waste it on silly things anyway <laughs> Thank oh, you. that's great. Yeah, everybody go and buy the book. If, if you didn't have a good enough reason before, now you have, definitely. Thank you Again, so much, guys. Be well. 
fingers crossed we get to meet then if you come to the uk then jim that would be lovely thanks so much thank you thank you bye now and the alarm bell as always brings to an end another interview show and like we said at the beginning the second one that you've done with me chris and it's also i'll say this straight away before i forget because i will otherwise uh, if you enjoyed that show and bloody hell if you didn't email us and tell us why because there's no excuse not to enjoy that we've had a whale of a time it's also available on youtube so you can watch all three of us have a chat too uh mate how have you recovered after that that 75 minutes that we've just spent and we could have easily spent another 75 minutes with him couldn't we yeah i mean that just exceeded all my expectations uh of just like i said he answered my question first and foremost and also turned it into a funny anecdote um about that was his first feature film role and um the the fact that he still gets remembered and recognized and people quote that line from lethal weapon 2 but you blick um i have to put that i can't say it without the kind yeah, of you, know, you have the to say it with that inflection don't you south african accent yeah so apologies for that but the fact that he's still known for that today and people recognize him for it is um and he took it all in, in good humor and good graciousness that, and I think that's the thing I learned from him talking to him for the past sort of 75 minutes was, you know, he doesn't take himself too seriously mm. and he's willing to have a laugh. And the way that he ended the show with all of the positive stuff was just the icing on the cake. Um, and with the cherry on top, it is just such a great guest. And I'm in some ways I'm gutted that we didn't get a chance to talk about the video game and voiceover stuff that he does. Um, but in other ways, glad that we didn't because we could potentially save that for another show but i didn't want to you know he could have just talked about the people he's worked with and i felt a little bit bad because he was talking about george c scott and i you know i would not cut him off but or cut you off but it was just like oh man all these people that he's he's worked with and i think that's the thing and that's the point i was trying to get across and i don't know if i did it very well was that you know you've always got like the leading actor you know that's kind of in the spotlight and and all of that but then there's always these character actors that you recognize from things, but you, you can never be sure what from, but they seem to be in loads of stuff that you've seen, but they must have some amazing stories that, you know, the, the, the lead actors and actresses or whatever would never tell mm -hmm. because they're so famous but then it's the people that sort of see and observe the things that all of the other actors and actresses do and the people that they've worked with. And they have some amazing stories, hence the, the reason for him writing this book. Um, and I can't wait to listen to it because that's how I consume books. I must admit it's through Audible and, you know, audio books. But uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, highly recommend people if they've enjoyed this show which i'm sure they have mm. then go out and buy the book or listen to the audiobook he started the show with a fart story mate i mean come on that's that's our bread and butter isn't it really i mean i think that's the thing because he doesn't obviously doesn't know us and you know we don't know him but um you know within a few minutes i think we kind of um bonded or he'd, he'd whether he did it you know uh, knowingly or not we just that's kind of our level isn't it you know and we love all that stuff. So, it, it, you know, we, we weren't looking for a, a, he's a professional actor kind of, you know, and all of those stories. We, we're happy for fart and, and cut, you know, jokes or, or all that sort of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. it's And I hope he does manage to get across to the UK doing book signings over the next few months. That'd be really good. I'd love to meet him um, 
in person and just say that was me i spoke to you on the podcast and yeah. um thank you very much um we didn't get a chance to talk about football you know uh, or anything like that because he's heavily involved with crystal palace and but uh you know, uh, there's so many different things you could talk to him about. You know, like I said, we could spend hours and hours and hours. I'd, it's one of those people that you kind of have to speak, speaking to for 75 minutes. You think, oh, I'd love to go out and have dinner with you or, you yeah. know, just he was spend saying, time wasn't with he? you. He was saying about Billy Connolly being the perfect dinner guest to have. I think Jim would be a perfect dinner oh. guest to have as well. He, he talked about doing um, the inspiration for the book was was kind of like being asked on on stage to talk about his career a little bit and then you know then he started to think about maybe writing a, um um you know not a play but you know a, um a story uh but that's where the, the genesis of the book came from um but i think he could do something like that i think i think he, accompanying mm. the book he could do a 90 minute show on stage Easily, and people would yeah. go and watch it and it'd be yeah. funny and it'd be touching and it'd be positive and i'd, I'd pay to watch that yeah, I would too. Yeah, I think that you never know. Maybe in the future, we don't know. But yeah, I think you nailed it. It would be, it would be hilarious. From the short time that we spent with him, the funny stories, you know, like you said, finishing the show in such a really good, positive, thoughtful way. And then he mentioned as well, didn't he, in the book, you know, there's bits in there that may well make you shed a tear while you read it mm -hmm. as well. So it, it covers all bases too. And it's, he's, he's just got, I imagine that all the incredible experiences that he's gone through and the memories and the stories that he's got. I'm sure this book just barely scratches the surface of everything. Mm. I'm looking forward to reading or listening to who is the, uh, the people that he enjoyed working <laughs> with. And the one person that he, hate, he yes. hates and he shreds. Is that be fun? <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you come off, well, say that well, I've only really done two interviews with you, but you you come away from it and you, you're on a high, you're buzzing, and, and, and that's great. But you actually feel a little bit better as a person for having spoken to them. Uh, do you know what I mean? There's something. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely something about him that kind of just, makes you want to be in their company yeah. which is great you know definitely yeah and he he did say didn't he you know about uh, he was apologizing for talking too much but no as i said he is he's the perfect guest we barely have to say anything we we can just sit back and have a listen to all these awesome stories you know like people out there that are listening to this audio show just sit back and listen to him it's uh, it's incredible but we've got the the added bonus of you know if we did want to chip in with anything we could and ask mm -hmm. him whatever we did. So, yeah, it would be really good to get him back on the show again later in the year. And uh, let's let's hope that we do. Well, who will be the next person that we do a double interview with, mate? Who knows going forward, eh? I don't know. I mean, you surprised me with this one. So um, who knows? Uh, it, it's like he says, I guess it's going back to my this is my 10th year of podcasting you know if i'd have turned around and said no i never never got to do this you know yeah. i guess and you never know where things will lead you do you and that, yeah. that's what part of the, what he was saying it is know? isn't it yeah those little choices that you make you know you could have easily have said you know you've got a first little baby almost being born you could have gone oh no i can't you know i'm just about to be a dad and you make that choice there and then which you know it, you think initially is just a little choice but then the ripples that it's had uh myself you know, if I had not started podcasting, the things that it's given me, talking to people who have, you know, grown up watching, listening to, being in films, going to Hollywood and hosting bloody movie premieres and all, it's all come from podcasting. And that was just a decision to make it. So what Jim said at the end, you know, those little decisions that you make every day, you don't know what they're going to lead to at all. So yeah, just stay positive with it. So I think it was a, it was a cracking way to end the show. Mm. 
Speaking of ending shows, there you go. That's almost professional, isn't it? We shall end this one. <laughs> of course, go to 60mw.co.uk, numerical 60, not alphabetical. Everything is on there. We do these interview shows. If this is the first show that you've listened to, thank you very much. There's loads of different format shows on there. There's interviews. We cover movies, music, video games. There's everything. Just go to the podcast drop-down box and have a look through those. Instagram and Twitter, we're at 60MW Podcast. If they want to follow you on Twitter, Chris. I'm at Dastardly Jabby. And uh, if you want to follow any of the rest of the team, just go to the Meet the Team page on the website and everybody's details are on there. Uh, as recording this, I'm going to be recording another interview show tomorrow uh, with... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to wait and see. But that'll be the next episode to be Jeez. released. I know, I know. It's music-related. It's, it's a soundcheck interview show. But that'll be the next episode. So we've got two back-to-back interview shows coming at you this week. Um, and then, of course, I know, as I said to you, Chris, we've got... I've got, I think, two, maybe three of your um, Spotlight shows with Adam on the desktop waiting to be released. There's a rant show that I recorded with Alan waiting to be released. There's there's always stuff in in the locker ready to be unleashed into your ears. So uh, if you enjoyed this, get ready for lots more coming at you very soon. So we'll wrap this up. Uh, Awesome time with Jim. Awesome time with you, as always, mate. And... uh, yeah, until we chat again, uh, let's let's say goodbye to everybody, shall we? Yeah, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Before the theme music plays, I have to add in our post-interview excitement, I forgot to thank Adam from The Secret History of Hollywood, Attaboy Clarence, The House of Hammer podcasts. Hopefully you're all familiar with his work. If for some reason you're not, oh my word, are you in for a treat. I will put a link in to his website. Just go and have a look to everything that he does. Download, uh, support him on Patreon. You won't be disappointed. That's all I'm going to say. And it's thanks to Adam that we got this interview sorted with Jim. He very kindly put us forward for it. So thank you, Adam. And again, to everybody listening to this, go and listen to Adam. He's far better than everything that we do. (laughs) So uh, thanks, Adam.